Good morning, family, and welcome to another day of online preaching, online sermon. And um, it is lockdown day 168 in sunny old South Africa as we go further into our spring, 13th of September 2020. Last week, we were speaking about stewardship. We were speaking about how, I mean, we, we are busy with now lesson chapter 8, verse, or lesson 8, uh, part 2, a life of giving. And um, last week we spoke about, we were introduced to the main character by the name of Joseph. And we went all the way back to the time of creation, how God created the heavens and the earth. And then he created man and he put him in charge of the garden and all the things within it. And he was given the task to look after the creation of God. And then we, we moved down through the timeline and we came to Abraham, but we were more focused on his son Isaac. And we saw how Isaac and Rebekah, when they had their child of Esau and Jacob, and how Jacob and his mother deceived Isaac uh, by um, putting the, the, um, the skins of, of an animal the skins of a lamb upon his, his arms because to, in order to make him hairy as Esau was hairy and um, so that he could get the blessings that was due for the elder. And we saw how Jacob ran for his life and he started to work for Laban for his daughter's hand in marriage. And we saw that because he had deceived his father. The sin was visited upon him where he was deceived by his father-in-law-to-be that after seven years he did not get Rachel, but rather he got Leah. And therefore he had to work double in order to get Rachel and he had to work for another seven years and of course a few extra years after that. Then we saw how through Leah, most of his children was born, except through Rachel. And we also saw because of, of uh, um, what one would call a generational curse, it was visited upon his family where that there was a bit of fighting in, in the family. You see, when you deceive someone, it brings pain through your family and through your generations. And we saw finally through Rachel, we have Joseph. And Jacob loved Joseph so much that he actually alienated him from his brothers. And we are now going to be reading from Genesis chapter 37, verse 12 to 17. All right, I want you to follow me on this journey through the life of Joseph, okay? We see now that in some day, the children of Israel went shepherding with the sheep. They took the sheep and they went grazing, but they did not go through the normal places. They went to a different place altogether. And 
Israel was starting to become a bit more, a bit concerned about where were his children. Okay, and so he decided decided to send his favorite son. All right, his beloved son. He's one and only son. Okay, yes, he doesn't only have one, uh, one son. He has a lot of sons, you know, because of all the other children that he had. But he had one loved son, and that was Joseph. All right, and we, we've got to read from verse 12 to 17. Then his brothers, that's the brothers of Joseph, went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel sent to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. So he said, Joseph, said to him, Israel, here I am. And then Joseph, uh, then Isaac, uh, sorry, getting all the names mixed up. And then uh, Jacob, whose name is Israel, said to Joseph and said, please go and see if it is well. With your brothers. I mean, they have not said word back to me to say how things are going. And it's been a bit of time and I'm a bit worried about them and a bit worried about the sheep, but more worried about them. So go and see where they are. All right. Go see if it's well with your brothers and well with the flocks. And once you have found out how it's going with them, bring back word to me. So Israel sent Joseph out on the valley of Hebron. And Joseph went to Shechem. Now, you can imagine now, Joseph arrives at Shechem. And he's walking around and he's looking around and he's not finding his brothers. Neither is he finding the flocks of his father. Alright? And now a certain man found him and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So Joseph answered and replied and said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. All right. Let's just stop over here. I want us to also look at this and kind of think about this. Israel's Sons, most probably out of their own, all right, or, well, let's go back a, a bit and say his brothers went to feed the father's flock in Shechem, all right. So Israel either told his children, go to Shechem and graze the flocks there, or maybe the children came to Israel and say, you know what, um, we feel that it's best to feed our flocks at, at Shechem, so we're going to be going there, all right, we'll be there for a few days. And then they went. Now, they were supposed to be there, but they weren't there. They were there, and then they left. And in a way, we can take this with... Uh, I mean, uh, Israel now sends Joseph saying, go to Shechem because they're there, but they're not. We can marry this with uh, the, the scripture of Isaiah, chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 6, where it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. All right? Joseph's 
Brothers were supposed to be a Shechem, but they went astray. They left, they went to somewhere else. Alright? And he was sent by his father, and notice the words that Joseph says, I seek my brethren, I seek my brothers, I seek my sisters. And yeah, we can marry this off into New Testament where Jesus is sent from his father's house in heaven to his brothers here on earth and he's looking for his brothers as we read in Luke chapter uh, um, uh, 19 verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Alright? See, we are supposed to be in a place where God had put us has directed us but because of sin sin has taken us astray and has led us off the path that god has set before us that he had to send his son because in john 3 16 it says that for god so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son now we know that joseph was not the only begotten son but he was the loved son of israel and he sent his son to go look for his brothers See, God does not have stepchildren. Alright? I hope you, you can see the picture that I'm painting here. Alright? God does not have stepchildren. You see, the truth of the matter is this. All the stories in the Bible gives us a perfect view of the life and the mission of Jesus Christ. We can read throughout the Old Testament and we can see how it points towards God. Always pointing to Jesus, who is the light of the world. If we look through every single page of the Old Testament, we can see every page has some way of mentioning Jesus. We read in the New Testament after he was crucified and after his resurrection that Jesus meets up with two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And he reveals to them the scriptures. But what does he say? The scripture says this in Luke chapter 24 verse 27. says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Praise the Lord. And when Jesus met his disciples later that day, he also said unto them. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44 to 45. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He began at Moses. But you have to look very carefully that he was beginning from the law of Moses. What was the law of Moses? It was the first five books of Moses, starting from Genesis.
<clears throat> he showed them from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 how it was revealing him in the Old Testament. Revealing him in the scriptures. How it was bringing some form of symbolism or some form of topology. Some reference to him and his sacrifice. Peniah is Joseph, the beloved son of Israel. A type of Jesus who was sent forth from his father's house to go and seek, to search for his brothers, to search for those that were lost, that were not where they were supposed to be, where they were supposed to have been safe and sound, but they had traveled off the beaten path and gone somewhere else. Praise the Lord. So here we see that Joseph was sent to his brothers, and when he found them at Dothan, they conspired to kill him. They inspired against him. Genesis chapter 37 verse 18 to 20 says this, When they saw him far off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They must have already saw, they recognized, oh, we know who this is. We can see that colorful coat from miles away. And before Joseph could even see them, or before he could even come up to them, they already started talking. Hey, let's kill him. What do you think? How should we kill him? All right. So they looked and said to one another, look, this dream is coming. <laughs> come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, oh, some wild beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will come become of his dreams. See, they were not interested in the grief of their father. That Mozart did not even play a, a part in their minds. All they knew was that this man who was coming, this young man, their brother who was coming, who was a dreamer, who said such things to them that they were going to kill him. You know Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 11? He says this, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. In your, verse, in your version, it must probably says, came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And Jesus said that the scribes and Pharisees hated Me without cause. In John chapter 15 verse 25. But he says, this happened that the word might be filled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. We all know how many times through the ministries of Jesus, that these scribes and Pharisees were conspiring against Jesus, looking for ways to kill him. I mean, Jesus was not speaking against the law. He even said that in the word. It says that I do not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And these scribes and Pharisees who have boasted that they know the law and every single letter should know very well that this man who was in front of them was the one that the law was preaching about. 
but they conspired against him. They wanted to kill him. A better example we can come across that is John 11, verse 46 to 53. Where it reads, But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. They had a public meeting. Oh, sorry, maybe not public, but private. They had a council meeting. They had agenda and the minutes and everything. And what uh, then the, the, the um, uh, main chairman must have said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. See, they were worried about the Romans. And they were worried about their place. I mean, yes, Jesus working wonders, miracles. There was nothing against such a man, I think. But these people started to worry about losing their place in society. And we know that one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest of that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that as expedience for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation shall perish. They, he did not know how pertinent, how, how exemplary that word was. That one man died for the people. And we are not going to look at the people as just one nation, but the people of the world. One man died. For every single person in this world. In verse 51 it says, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And let me read in 53, it says, Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Guys, brothers and sisters, that was not the first council that they had. They had many other councils and they were working. And every time they they would uh, uh, say, you know what, okay, fine, let's meet again next week, same time, and we'll continue with our plans. See, they plotted from the day on. And John chapter 11 follows directly after the time that he raised Lazarus from the dead. So let's get back to Joseph. Joseph was sent to his brothers. And when he found them at Dothan, they conspired against him to kill him. In other words, they were trying to kill the dreams of Joseph. But however, we know that Reuben, Jacob's eldest son, tried to deliver, deliver Joseph by persuading them not to kill him. But he was morally weak. You know, you think that the eldest should be the one more in control. The one whose word is law. The one when he speaks, all the other brothers listen and they they follow. 
So here's Reuben, the eldest, says, guys, uh-uh, no, I don't, I don't agree with, I don't agree with this. I don't think we should kill Joseph. I don't, no, 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 that, that's out of the question. So he tried to persuade them to leave him alone. But unfortunately, he was morally weak. He did not have a backbone to stand up for what was right. He should have reprimanded his brothers. He should have told them, leave Joseph alone. Don't you touch him. Oh, we see the same thing in the New Testament. You remember when Pilate, when Jesus was delivered to Pilate, and Pilate uh, uh, interrogates Jesus. And he says, I do not find anything wrong. In John chapter 19 verse 4, it says this. That he went out again. Remember, he went out and he told him, I don't find anything wrong. And they were not having none of that. So he went back again to find, to try and see if there's any fault. And again, he went to them and said, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. But unfortunately, he was a weakling as well. He had no backbone, especially for this occasion. You have to understand that he was a Roman. He was a face of the Roman Empire. He was a governor of this place. And what he said, I mean, he had the Roman soldiers under his rule. But he still did not have a backbone. Because, especially these Jews, they would have taken complaints back to his superiors. They would have made it bad for him. And even though he was in the right, he was afraid of losing his position. He was afraid of losing his uh, society uh, where he was placed in. In John chapter 19 verse uh, 4, uh, we, which we have read, but we read, continuing in verse 6 to, uh, to 12, it says, Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate even told them, by his own admission, that he found no fault in Jesus. But he still handed them over to them. You know, by that itself was illegal to the Roman law. Pilate says to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in them. And the Jews answered, we have a law. <laughs> According to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. <laughs> And therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was even more afraid. He went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him an answer. And then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you? And the power to release you? <laughs> I think Jesus just turned around and he looks at him and says, 
you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the grace of sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews still cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Oh, that even made uh, Pilate even more afraid. Four to 16, 14 to 16, we say this now, when it came to the preparation day of Passover and about the sixth hour, he said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar! Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Oh, that was a sad day. But we can see that even though Pilate tried his utmost best, he did not have a backbone to stand up against them. Just like Judah, uh, Reuben did not have a backbone to stand up against his brothers. So Joseph was stripped of his coat of many colors. And these so-called shepherds killed one of the kid, uh, goat, uh, kid of the goats. And they dipped Joseph's coat in the blood and they used it to deceive their father you know Jacob was a trickster himself I mean he just got tricked by his own brother his own sons and the same sin that he tricked that he was tricked by his sons, he used against his father. He used the skin of an animal, the kids of the goats. Deputy Reed, in Genesis chapter 27, to 50, uh, verse 15 to 16, says, Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob her younger son and she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck do you remember the saying by Isaac the voice is Jacob's voice but the hands are the hands of Esau in Genesis chapter 27 verse 22 Jacob and his mother Rebecca used the goatskins to deceive his father whose eyes were dim he could not see very clearly let us notice this that Joseph left behind his coat of many colors they were dipped in blood just as Jesus himself was stripped of his blood-stained coat. In accordance to Matthew chapter 27 to 26 and 28 and verse 31. Let me read that quickly for you. Then he released Barabbas to them and when they had scourged, when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And he stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had mocked him, 
that took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. It's also interesting to note that the main son who sold, who decided to sell Joseph for a very interesting money, uh, a sum of money, but it was Judah who decided that to sell Joseph. And he sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Genesis 37 verse 25 to 28 says this, they sat down to eat a meal and they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with the camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh on the way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill a brother and kill Seely's blood? I think the whole time that Judah was sitting there, he was trying to work out a way also to maybe save the life of his youngest brother. I think he was in it with Reuben. He was like, okay, I, uh, trying to work out a way to save the life of Joseph. So I said, hey, guys, how about we sell him and we get some profit out of this? We get some money out of this. So let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. <laughs> when you talk about money, people always listen. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And these Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt. Hmm. Do you know that Judah is in Hebrew? Alright. It's a Hebrew form of the name. But the Greek form of Judah is Judas. And we read that in Matthew chapter uh, verse 1 to 2. Sorry, my mistake. If you read in Hebrew, if we get the scripture in Matthew chapter uh, 1 to 2, uh, one, uh, chapter 1 verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And when you come to the Greek and you read it, it says, Jacob begot Judas and his brothers. Okay? So it's no surprise that when we read up on Judas, that Judas was in a way chosen to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver as we find in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 to 15. All right, 30 pieces of silver. So can you see how the Old Testament and New Testament is so intricately linked? Joseph, like so many other biblical characters, is a type of Christ. 
the actual events in their lives prefigures Jesus' ministry on earth and what will happen to the Son of God. Jesus Christ is intricately and divinely woven within the pages of the Old Testament. And Jesus has encouraged us even now to search the scriptures. In John chapter 5 verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. Amen. So when news reached Jacob in Genesis 37, verse 32 to 35, the children sensed the tunic of many colors of Joseph. They brought it to their father. And it's like they somehow pretended as if they do not recognize this hated piece of cloth that they so despised. And they come to their father and they say, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Remember, Joseph was sent to Shechem. But they weren't at Shechem. Joseph walked around for a while before someone told him to go to Dothan. But only Joseph might have known that he had spoken to someone. Somewhere along the line, the trip, they tried to say that he had died. Jacob recognized it and he said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast that devoured him. With a doubt, without a doubt, when I look at this tunic, Joseph is torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes. He put sackcloth on his waist. And he mourned for his son many days. And think about this. Well, maybe let me go through the entire scripture before I go on to deviation there. All his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Amen. Imagine us now how they must probably feeling. One of them, or if not all of them, jingling in their pockets the 20 pieces of silver. Most probably each one got two pieces of silver, which was quite a, a lot of money in those days. They thought it would be over and done with. They bring the tunic, show their father, and there it is, done, dusted. But they never expected how much pain they brought to the house.
I think there was such a cloud of mourning over that house, not for a day, not for a week, but for a very long time. Yes, they might have had some dealings with their brother, Joseph. They might have, but I think in a sense, what had not been there, there was less laughter. And whenever anyone did laugh, it felt empty. His sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Can you imagine how they felt? Knowing full well where the boy was. Knowing full well they deceived their father, but they found they went too far. And it was too late to change anything. They had a funeral service. The father's best clothes were thrown out and he was just wearing sackcloth and ashes. Refused to be comforted, said, I will die. And I will join my son when I'm dead. You can imagine how that must have gone, knowing full well that when their father dies, he will not find. Joseph in the grave because he's not there. You know when we read about this story of Joseph and especially at this point where Jacob hears his news and learns about the fate of his beloved son. And how he suffers in anguish and mourn for his son. Many of us can identify with the suffering of Jesus from Gethsemane to the cross. When we read the story and we walk step by step on how Jesus must have felt and how he must have gone through such agony, we never think and never spare thought about God the Father. What was God feeling about? You can't say that God was not feeling anything, even though God knew the outcome, but still he was going through anguish. When God laid the foundation of the earth and the, and the foundations of heaven, and when he created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, he knew the destination that his son was going to die for the sins of of the world, but still he was going through agony. God the Father suffered immensely throughout the ordeal that Jesus was going through because of the treatment that was meted out to his beloved son. But remember that John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You have to understand that Jesus, that God, the Father, does not have stepchildren. He only has children. And he loves all of us just as much as how he loves Jesus. You can see how this is proven by the fact that he was willing to subject and put himself through the agony and the anguish of sacrificing his only begotten son. And there's the same story that we can read in the Old Testament in the form of Abraham.
Abraham was old. We can link that up with ancient days that when we refer to God. God made a promise, you shall have a son. But it didn't happen straight away. It took some time for that promise to be. It took some time. But we saw that when God came to Abraham and his son Joseph, uh, uh, Isaac most probably was in his 20s, was not a young boy, and he took him. Sorry, let me step back a bit. And God told him to sacrifice his son. You can imagine the agony that Abram was going through. I mean, he didn't just get up and say, yes, Lord, and take his son and, okay, let's go. No. He must have had an agonizing night. Did not sleep much, knowing full well that his son will have to be sacrificed at a place. Next day, he takes his son and gets on the horse, uh, no, donkeys, and they off they go with the, the servants. The whole way through, he's agonizing. He's looking at his son. He's trying to memorize everything that his son says, everything his son does. Memorize that face, that smile, that laughter. But God said, sacrifice your son. And who is he to go against what God has commanded? The same God who gave him the son in the first place. They get off the donkeys. He tells the servants to wait. He and his son, they walk. His son carrying the wood, which is very symbolic of Jesus carrying the cross. Son asks, Okay, I, I see the word. Uh, I see we've got the fire stuff. I see the things we all got ready for a sacrifice. But there's something missing. Where is the lamb? And Abraham says a very important scripture. The Lord will provide for himself a lamb. But the whole way through... Abraham was obeying the voice of God. He was going to carry it through. Even though we read in the New Testament, in one of the epistles where it says that he believed that the Lord will raise him up from the dead. He had so much faith in God. and said, Lord, I will carry this up, but I know without a matter of doubt that when I plunge this knife, when I sacrifice my son to you, you will raise him from the dead and return back to me. But even so, the agony that he had to take upon himself. He was trying to prepare himself, but nothing prepares a father's heart for a time when he has to now kill his own son. Nothing can prepare anyone for that. But this proves that God was willing to subject and put himself through the agony 
to put himself through the anguish of sacrificing his only begotten son just to save you and me. Just to save fallen humanity. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the, a powerful show of love. It's a powerful show of grace. It's a powerful show of mercy. And of course, we know that Joseph's life was radically changed in the moment. From being the beloved son of Jacob to that being a slave in an unknown land called Egypt. And we're going to be stopping here for today. And next week we will be looking at Joseph and Potiphar's house. As his journey continues. From one being of prestige to the one being of a servant. And how through his life. He became one of the greatest stewards. An example to us of what it means. In the life of a disciple. Alright, so we're going to be closing up and we'll just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, we thank you for the lessons that we've learned. Sometimes, Lord, people's lives have to go through pain and through anguish. In order for their lesson to be learned. And you know, sometimes we go through such pain and anguish without knowing that there is a lesson to be learned. It's only years later, maybe, that when we look back, we say, you know what? I went through that pain. I went through that 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 uh, that situation. Yes, it was not nice. It was a very painful time. It was one where I felt as if I could not continue living any further. But when we look back at such situations, the time that we went through, we realize that it was lessons that we've learned and some lessons that we had to unlearn. And I thank your Father God that you saw fit to save your son. Yes, we, we go through the story many times and we feel how Jesus feel, felt, but we tend to forget how Father, how you felt, how you anguished and how you were in so much pain at seeing your son and seeing the evil that was, that was against. I mean, you knew how much evil there was on earth. But that evil now that turned directly and, and lashed out at your beloved son. It must probably hurt you very deeply. And we, Lord, we say we're sorry. We're sorry that you had to go through that. And maybe you shared that lesson with Abraham. You, you put him through that so that at least he would know how you f would feel when you send your son to die for us. Even though Abraham eventually was so prepared that he was about to plunge that knife down that your angel stopped him. That he did not carry it through. 
which was just like a test run of what you will be going through when you send your son to die for us. Yes, Lord, I know that this story, this uh, uh, um, this um, sermon is the second part of stewardship, a life of giving. Even though today we did not really speak much on stewardship, it was still very much a part of building up the foundation for the next part of our discourse. But I pray, our Father God, that you will guide us through this time, that you'll walk the path with us as we go through the steps of discipleship, Lord, that we will learn to become disciples of your word. And as we go through these doctrines and through these lessons of Father God, I pray that we'll learn and we'll take heart many of the lessons that are learned therein about what it means to be a disciple. You know, Father God, I pray for those who hear this message. I pray for those who are sick, Lord, that you will heal them, that you'll touch their lives so that they may be brought to grace, released from the evils of the world. I pray, Father God, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. I pray for your healing of your people. I pray for your churches of Father God. That, Lord, during this time and through this time and even after this time, that they will gain power of the Spirit and that they will start to march and that they will not be broken. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we say this and we ask this in the mighty name of your, your Son. Amen.